Lunchtime Heroes is brought to you in part by Calavo Growers, the family of fresh. Superior fresh, salmon as it should be. Volcano produce, erupting with freshness. And by Moxie Marketing, we build brands. Hey, hi-ho, everybody. Happy December. Happy holidays. Happy everything. Thank you for being here today. We are so honored to be a part of Todd Versations Presents Lunchtime's Heroes with our friend at the Chef Ann Foundation. We are excited for episode number two. We are thrilled with our guest. Uh, this topic, as you know, is so dear and near to my heart, and I think it's such an important part of what we need to be talking about in this country, about how we're going to make positive changes in so many aspects. So to be able to have People from all over the country join us and share their stories. It's so meaningful to me. It's so inspirational. I know it is to you, especially based on the responses on our first episode. So episode number two, in the can. Here we go. Please, everybody, give it up for the Director of Culinary and Wellness Services from the Minneapolis Public Schools. Please welcome Bertrand Weber. Sir, what an honor to have you. Well, same here. And, and thank you so much for having me on this show Uh you know, you mentioned the importance, and I grew up in Europe. I came to, the, I grew up in Switzerland, uh, and and growing up, the word organic, I didn't know there was such thing as organic because that's just the way my way it was. Kids' food? Who ever heard of kids' food? We just ate real food, just less of it. And I got here and was, I was mesmerized how we had taken the, the simplest food and made it into something we didn't really need, but was convenient. So, you know, it, a lot of it uh, is not just our kids, it's our food system. We've created this, this unrealistic approach to food, but yet we don't respect the food. We don't put value on our food. You know, think about it. Richest country in the world, we have the most diet in the world. We spend more money on how to lose weight. We have more cookbooks and more cook shows. And all we eat is processed. Yeah. I, it, you're it's, it's you're, you're preaching to the choir. I anyway. mean, food, food is medicine. You know, it's yeah. true. You're 100% right. But think about it to your point. You know, back, back when we were both here, food is medicine. <laughs> it can help you and it can hurt you. And the problem is, is that we have tried to simplify our lives to the point of it's hurting more than it's helping. And I think that Absolutely. when we have this conversation, why this, why this lunchtime heroes program is so important to myself and everybody here at TLC is because of the fact we recognize that the way we're going to make change in our country for the long game is by investing in our children today, resetting that table, teaching them the right way to eat, have them question what they're eating, have them get a little more knowledge, have them start to appreciate flavors that they're not currently getting in a lot of ways. That, and it's incredibly important. That's the key to me. It's, it's The change will come when we elevate how great good food is, right? Yeah. And and it, bec it becomes the norm. It's no longer this gourmet food. It's just real food. And and, you know, from the very beginning in this particular career, because I came from the hotel industry, I ran five-star resorts, Cape Cod, uh, Ponte Vedra. I mean, I was in the best place around the country. And I served, you know, dignitaries and anybody you want, you could think of. And it was, it was great. 
But ultimately, when I went home, I was satisfied because we made a lot of money and the guests were happy. Yep. Now I go home with a completely different thing. But that being said, you know, when, when I started into the school environment, I always approached it from the perspective of teeth, expanding kids' palate for them to yeah. discover what great food is. Yeah. And by the way, it has a positive impact on you. Not, let me tell you what you should eat because it's good for you, but let me show you how great food is. And by the way, it's good for you. Yeah. You know, win-win. Yeah. Because, because everybody else does the other way around. Dietitians right. go from it. You got to eat this because it's good for you, but it tastes bad. Yeah, but it's good for you. No, no, no. Let's make it. And that's why I think you're seeing more, you know, more chefs and, and, and people from the hospitality industry in entering this arena because they've got the passion for the food and we need to, the, the kids, we need to elevate that passion in our kids. That's 100%. how we're going to make the change. hundred percent. I, I, you're, again, you're preaching to the choir. And again, I, I'm so honored to be able to have a platform like this that can go out and share these messages. And, and, you know, we talked about it earlier before we started recording. To me, some of the most important things is, you know, as we look at the curriculum that our children are, are being, you know, exposed to and, and learning from, et cetera, et cetera, we're putting zero energy into what the kids are actually eating in a lot of ways. And I think that becomes needs to become just as much important as STEM and just as much important as everything else that they need to be at, because that is really the building block of the brains, the minds, the energy level, the activity level where they're going to go in the future. How do we change climate? How do we do all these things we're talking about? I believe it starts by educating the children at school about the food system and what they're eating and put them on a better trajectory for a healthier life for the long haul. And I just think it's brilliant what you all are doing and what Chef Ann is doing and how you're embracing things. It's awesome. Basic requirement of a human body, food, water, sleep, air. We don't talk <laughs> about curriculum or STEM. No. I agree. Well, let's get into it. I want to get people to get anyway. to know you a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. I mean, I, sure. and if you wouldn't just kind of tell everybody what your role is at the Minneapolis Public Schools. So um, my title is Director of Culinary and Wellness Services. And uh, long story short, I've been there for 12 years now. And we started when I started, we, we our department was called the Nut Center. And I went, well, wait a minute. Why are we called the Nut Center? And he said, oh, you'll find out soon enough. I said, no, we're going to change that. We're going to do culinary. And yeah. they're going, culinary? In school? And I said, why not? So culinary and nutrition services was when I started. Then about six years ago, we incorporated a, a whole wellness segment in our department because Love you need it. both. You cannot yeah. have just food without the wellness. So we're now culinary and wellness services. My role is really to guide my department on a daily basis and set priorities, goals, value, objective, and really giving them the vision of where we need to go. Obviously, I'm involved operationally when it comes from the food because there's no way I'm gonna put something on a menu unless that I've fully tested it, tried it, loved it, you know, that whole thing. But the biggest impact I think is really getting the team uh, is, is guiding that team with the core values that we've developed as a department. And that, I, re I have to use that every single day. Oh. You know, our, our mission statement is very simple. Nurturing all children 
with access to quality food and active living. Active living. That's it. It's got to be both. It has to and be. And everything we do must have a positive impact on our kids. So when yeah. I see a new initiative that comes through and they say, wait, if we do this, we're going to save money. My next question is, as it has a positive impact on the kid. Well, not really. We're, we're, we're downgrading our food. I said, well, and now we're not doing it. You need to rethink how we're going to do that. Yeah. So my role is truly to guide the ship, if you will, on a daily basis to make sure that we stay true to our value and we deliver the best quality food in school for our kids. There is no school it. food. It's yeah. great food in school. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Well, let's let's talk about how big the ship is. How many kids are you feeding now, a day, a week, a year? Type well, of deal? my ship is shrinking, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I started at 37,000 kids. We're down to 29. And I'm not going to go into detail why it has nothing to do with my food. Believe me, they're actually the district is using our food to try to get more kids. But all that being said, so we're shrunk. We're just under 30,000. which Just under 30. That's a hell of a lot of napkins to put out on the it, table. It That's is, a big not, table. Not when you compare them to the average urban school district is between 200 and 800,000 kids. So I know. we're still tiny, but I love it. I love my size because I'm nimble enough to make changes. I can do a lot within USDA procurement rules, but I'm big enough to be have an impact with our manufacturers. So we've made a lot of changes in how we, we procure our food and the food we serve because we have had that, the numbers, if you will. Sure. So 30,000 kids. Uh, we serve about 45% of, of our kids, serve, we serve breakfast, and our participation at lunch is hovering around 60. We are not, uh, our free and reduced, actually, same as our enrollment, is dropping. Uh, we we were close to 70 when I started. We're down to 49. So big mm. shift in the demographic, which then makes it more challenging because now that we don't have universal meals that we had during the three years of COVID, mm -hmm. now I get to get back to capturing, making sure I capture all those students that have the ability to just walk off the street and go down the street and eat at any restaurant that they want. Right, which so is not... It doesn't do us. Yeah, it doesn't do you any good if you're walking no. down to go fast food, when, especially when you yeah. get the options you have. What I mean, when you think about this, and I want to get into some of the changes in detail, but I want to frame this up before I ask the next question. It's a little bit about people getting a clearer understanding of how much money you have to spend per kid per meal. And I think that this is just to me is such a it, it's kind of mind blowing in a lot of ways. And you start to back it all off. People are like, oh, crap, I didn't realize that. So if you wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit. So between our commodity entitlement, which is not real cash money, but it's an amount of money that we can use to purchase some food and the reimbursement for a free student. Correct. It's just above $4. Right. For a paid student, it drops because we're only charging two seventy-five, and our reimbursement rate is substantially lower. Right. So for a paid student, we're about just above the three dollar the three dollar right. So for and reduce, we get about just about four. This is not for food. This is to run the entire right. operation, <laughs> the entire corporate, the, the entire franchise. I have sixty six restaurants 
and every sale I make is four bucks. Well, at, weighted average is about three fifty. Okay, so every sale I make for lunch is three fifty, and I've got to take care of the rent, the utilities, the electricity, the payroll, the insurance, the trucks. You know, you go on and on and on. The sporks. The, you got to pay well, for the sporks. We don't do sports. No, no, no. <laughs> fork, knife, and spoon. That's how you eat. You don't eat with a fork. <laughs> Damn right. Uh, I love it. But here's, here's also what people sometimes don't understand. If my fresh chicken goes from $1.10 a pound to $1.70 a pound, I can't increase my price. No. I still get my $4. Right. So now I've got to look and cut someplace else. So that's why right. you have to be start being creative. Yeah. So we're locked in. We have a captured audience if we do it right, because they're there. They're within the schools. We do have open campus at all our secondaries. So we got to make our food attractive. And, and I've heard kids say, why am I going to go to Chipotle and spend nine bucks when I can get the same thing here for free? Right? So. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to compete with that. But the challenge remains, the budget is the budget. I don't have a choice. Right. So you've got to get very creative in your food and how you menu. Make sure you utilize cross-utilization. You know, I have a group. We have kind of a group of menu committee, and we come up with great menu. And we look at it and stand back and go, oh, my God, we just added 10 ingredients. Or the field will say, do you realize that we have to bring the meatball just for the meatball on the pizza? That's ridiculous. You know, so you've got to do your staff to kind of figure those things out. So for you sure. have to be extremely effective, extremely uh, efficient to counteract some of those expenses. Well, you know, and thank you for answering that question in such detail, because I think to me, this is one of the most important questions I ask people on this, on this broadcast about this topic. And it's, I don't think people recognize the amount of dollars that aren't there to make food. And I, and I, and I understand the economics and I'm not trying to go down some dark trail, but you know, go figure out how you're going to make a meal for $2, figure out how you're going to go buy the ingredients, figure out how it works. Yes. You buy something, it costs this much. You're going to average, you're going to go through the whole motion, but nonetheless, that is a tough thing to do. And we're feeding minds. We're feeding bodies of young people that need the nourishment, that need the protein, that need the carbos, that need all the good stuff that comes out of food. And we're trying to do it for no money. It's nuts. It's just nuts. It really is. We'll talk about, let's get into the changes that you've made, right? You've talked about this and, and I love the, the perspective you gave about having open campus and secondary kids could go off campus and, and go other places for food and convenient and whatever you want to call it. But talk to me a little bit about the changes that you've made to the food program. So when I started Minneapolis, again, that's 12 years ago, Yeah, all of the schools received their food from the nutrition center in a TV dinner or in a pre-pack, in a unitized meal, and whatever you want to call it. Uh, I call it pre-pack. Now we're calling it unitized meal. It doesn't matter. It's a TV dinner, right? The only difference, it's not the, I remember TV dinner growing up. It was the tinfoil. Now it's compostable stuff and whatever. But it's the TV dinner. I, I can remember the TV dinners and putting them in the microwave when microwaves first came out. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. I watched that catch wire. <laughs> and then you had the TV tray, right? Yeah. So all the schools were receiving the, the pre-pack. All the fruits and vegetables were individually wrapped. So 
So right. I'd have a fruit and vegetable. And the secondaries had three choices. They had a burger or cheeseburger. They had the pre-pack. And they had some kind of pizza type. Because it could have been French bread. It could have been pizza. It could have been a Bosco stick. could have been a mozzarella stick. Whatever. And then they had a bowl with some wrapped carrots and a bowl with some apples. And that was it. Right. And I remember the first, one of my first visits at a high school, I watched the last lunch period and all the kids were going through and they had one choice because that's the only thing that was left. And I asked the, the manager, I said, did, I, did all the kids at the last lunch only had one choice? And she goes, yeah, but hey, I have no leftover, so I'm right on target, made my budget. I said, but 60, 60 of those kids didn't have a choice. She goes, well, they have food. You know, and that's and, aggressive. And that was very aggressive. So the department was a very uh, efficient, broken machine. It made money. It had extremely high meal per labor hour, probably one of the highest in the country, because we had one person at all the elementary two at the secondary. Nothing was made on site, so the central kitchen repackaged most of the food and they would send out. Fast forward 12 years to kind of give you where we are today. We have fresh salad bars in all our schools that students are empowered to take. On those salad bars, in addition to fruits and vegetables and green lettuce and homemade salad dressing. We have grain, grain salad that we make at the central kitchen to introduce kids to intact whole grain, not right. processed whole grain. So whether it's a tabbouleh or a frika salad or a barley salad, we have a grain salad. Then we do a legume salad for the, could be a Texas caviar, whatever it is. Right. Again, introducing them to new flavor, new texture, and we're meeting regulation on top of that. Now, is it the most popular thing on the salad bar? No, but it's there every day because we're seeing the impact it has. We put hummus, we put, you know, all different roasted hummus, and we use our salad bars to introduce uh, our farm-to-school produce that we do with our local farmers. At the elementary menu, at the elementary uh, schools, Kids have three choices, two hot, one cold. The cold is a simple sandwich, and then they have the choice of everything else. The sandwich is made in our central kitchen. Mm -hmm. And then we have a vegetarian option, and then we have the regular option. 80% of all our entrees are cooked on site. Wow. So we now have kitchen where 12 years ago we had no kitchen. In 70% of our school, I still have 30% that need to be built. They're still on pre-packed, but they have the salad bar and the pre-packed product is as good as what's fresh because it's the same one. It's right. just done over wrap. So the vegetarian option, we try to, to match what the regular entree is. So if we have, say, a Swedish meatball, then we have a vegetable Swedish ball. So it looks, you know, it, it kind of, so if we do orange chicken, we do orange tofu and kind of go there. So every day, kids have three choices. And it's not a vegetarian option. 
it's an option. It's open to everyone. And that, that was a hard thing for my staff to understand. I would go into school and say, where's the veg vegetarian option? Oh, I have it in the back. I know the kid that wants it. No, that's not what we're talking about. It's a choice. They have to be empowered to make that choice. A choice. The choice. Make the choice. Introduce them to different options. Sure. Don't call it vegetarian. I've heard kids say, I'm not vegetarian. Why would I take that? So, and it's, we just call it plant forward. You know, it's, it's yeah. a cheese pizza. It's not vegetarian pizza. It's just a cheese, uh, cheese lasagna. It's not vegetarian lasagna. Cheese lasagna. Right. Anyway, secondaries have three choices. Uh, we, and we rotate some of the stations. There's a global station, uh, and we have five kind of bowls. So we have one that's a burrito bowl where they build their own bowl with chicken, beef, or vegetable crumbles, roasted peppers, onion, black beans, that whole bit. <coughs> we have a tempura chicken and tofu option. And same thing. They choose whether it's chicken or tofu, chose the sauce, chose their topping. We have a bulgogi bowl option. It's either wow. tofu or beef. And then we have a pasta uh, pasta option where there's three kinds of meats, two different sauces, and all the toppings. Then we rotate a grill station, a pizza station, but we rotate. So the pizza is only on three days a week, every other week. It's not every day. There's nothing right. wrong with pizza. Unless you eat it every day. Nothing wrong with a burger unless you eat it every day. So burger every other week, pizza every other week. On the grill station, we'll have a fish, a chipotle, crusted palate that's out of this world. Comes from Seattle, by the way. Small company that we work with to develop the flavor profile. We have a turkey burger, a black bean burger, a falafel on, <coughs> on a flatbread. So that's and then the grill, and then the main line changes every day. So the main line is roasted chicken. It would be a lasagna. It could be a Minnesota tater tot hot dish. We gotta have a tater tot hot dish. Gotta have a tot. You gotta have a tot. So it's it's more of that comfort food, meatloaf, sure. that kind of stuff. I love it. And you know what? We haven't increased the number of kids that eat because I lost seven thousand. Okay. Sure. But we have, we are increasing the numbers of the percentage of kids that are eating. And, you know, you, you mentioned to me parents earlier. Uh, it's amazing to see the response we get on Facebook from parents that will comment about, oh my God, yeah, I can't believe you served this today. My kid came home and just raved about it. Can we have the recipe? Your program has been amazing. Now she helps herself to broccoli by herself. Those kind of comments, so you know you've made an impact. Yeah. And we're not trying in any other way than to just empower kids to make the choice and make it taste good. So like broccoli, it's roasted broccoli. It's, it's, a, it's fabulous. We have a beet and sweet potato roast. We call it sweets and beets. It tastes good. Yeah. So it's not... Have have a beat. It's good. No, no, it tastes good. But at the same time, we've made some mistakes. I mean, we stirred the raw beet in our fresh fruits and vegetable program. Kids weren't 
thrilled with it. And quite frankly, I don't think I would have ate that coin the way it was served. So we're not perfect. But introducing kids on an ongoing basis to new things is different. That's the switch in 12 years. Well, now, well, that, that took the district's commitment. I, I made a business presentation 10, 11 years ago and told them everything that was wrong about what we were doing and the impact on our kids. And, you know, I'm talking about diabetes and cardiovascular disease <laughs> and all those things that are happening and the effect it has on the kid and obviously the impact it has on their ability to learn. Mm -hmm. And I, I, and then I gave them all the options that I wanted to introduce, having kitchens in our school, introducing salad bars, introducing, not introducing, but promoting school garden, having an, a, a farm or we call it educational farm at the nutrition center, going to fresh food, increasing our partnership with farmers. We currently forward contract with 14 farms, working with local uh, protein companies or not company, but grower. All yeah. of our turkeys come from a small farm. We're doing our own deli meat now with turkey from a local farm. You know, we, I have a sous vide machine that does 1,800 pounds. So you put 1,800 pounds of, of daily meat in there and boy you've got a great product but so those were all things not the turkey i didn't talk about the turkey at the <laughs> at, at the board meeting but i told him all the choice we could do and right. said you have a choice you continue feeding the crap to our kids that we've been feeding the department makes money so you don't have to worry about it but this is what you're doing right is this what you want to do if you don't then i'm giving you a choice Within six months, pleasant dining facility, that's how they called it, became the number one priority on capital planning for the district. Wow. That's some impact. And we now, out of 66 schools, we have 46 that have new kitchens. We've got four coming on board next year. And I think we'll probably be stop around 60 because they'll talk about reduction in schools. Right. But the commitment is still there. The commitment was there during COVID. They were building kitchens during COVID because the district realized the value of providing good food to our kids. And it's yeah. not just because it's not a feel good type of thing. It's the right thing to do. It's what 100%. we need to do. You know? oh, it, it's, it again, it, I, I, I go back to what I said. This is really, the basic building block of changing the, the, the planet in a big way, yep. in my opinion. And, and one of the things that you that I took from what you just shared, and I give this back to you a little bit, is that you're driving dignity into schools when it comes to food. You're allowing choices. You're allowing kids to be empowered, which I think is so important for young people to have some say in their lives, um, whether it's a mistake or it's a learning experience because both are both are just equally valuable when you're young. But I really believe that. I really, from what you've shared with me and what you've said, you put a lot of dignity back into the process. And I think that's something that's missing in a lot of ways, uh, how you're I, embracing stuff. I, I commend you for that. I had a principal. So I have a ton of anecdotal stories about the impact. I don't have, you know, a medical research because sure. anyway, we tried it, didn't work. 
because there's too many outside factors to just zero in on the people. But anecdotally, ton of stories. And, and I think the most impactful was at the high school level, they were the first one that we transitioned from prepack to food because they had the infrastructure. They were not just using their kitchen. Oh, right. that being said, but they had. And I heard more time than none about how the behavior changed in the cafeteria. Right. Totally changed. And I said, here's why. When the food respects the child, the child respects the food. Wow. You give them a wrap burrito, they can throw it against the wall. You know, it's, it's gas station food. My good friend, Betty Wiggins, uh, always referred to, oh, my God, that's, ga that's gas station food. Yeah. But it's true. You, you put food on a plate. You give a knife. I mean, you give a fork. You give a knife. But it's on a plate. Not on a tray, it's on a plate that you eat. And you have, whether it's a burger or whether it's roast chicken and you have a salad and you got a fresh cantaloupe, how can they, and the behavior change. They're start, yeah. starting to sit down, they're having conversation. It's now lunch becomes a social time for them to engage in conversation. That yeah. before it was just grab the sandwich and just run out. Right. And I think that, again, it goes back to what we talked about, that building block of these kids. They're developing social skills. They're developing longer friendships. They're developing eating habits of, you know, a meal. My meal doesn't take to your point. A meal doesn't take five seconds. It takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And they're actually, it's one of the most things I think is incredibly impactful about what we're creating here. And some of the things I ask is, is what are the, you know, the physical, mental and behavioral improvements that we're seeing? And, and you know, to, to quote back, uh, uh, to go back an episode, you got less kids going to the principal. You got less kids in trouble. You, you're making such a huge difference because their bodies are being fueled in a positive way. And it just shows how, how valuable all of this really, really is. We have one high school and that's documented where their daily attendance. And that was pre-COVID. So it's, it's about five, four years old. But it was documented that their attendance reflected what was on their menu. Wow. So kids came to school based on what the food was. And you got to remember some of those kids, that's probably their only time they really have a good meal. Correct. So based on what the menu was, made an impact on their their daily attendance. Holy and I thought, oh, wow. What a, and I've never thought of that, but what an impact. No doubt. Well, and, and, and I'm, and, Thank you for saying what you said about, you know, this may be their only meal. And I think it's important. And I want to make sure that I bring this up and we touch on it. For a lot of children in this country, school meals are their meal. And it could perhaps be the last meal that they actually get on a Friday before they come back to school on a Monday in a lot of cases. And I think that we need to continue mentioning that to the American public and why investing in our school food and why we need to take a harder look at this is so incredibly important as a, as a nation you know, as global citizens, we're all part of this big rotating rock, you know, and I think that this is such an important thing to point out to people that there are kids that go home on a Friday that come to school on Monday morning starving. And that is really atrocious to me. I have seen their faces on a Monday. I can go to very specific schools and look at those kids, the way they look at that breakfast, you know, they haven't had any food for a couple of days. You're, you're totally right. You know, and 
I, and again, it's not preaching. Yeah, it is preaching to the choir, and I've heard it before, but I think we need to keep bringing it back again and again and again. In this, this environment and in this country, we provide free education, which means we get the kids on a bus to the school. We give the kids uh, books to learn. We provide them with teachers. Oh, and by the way, you're here for seven hours and you better bring your own lunch, otherwise you're gonna start. Yeah. Why? That should yeah. be part of the educational day. Yeah. Otherwise, change your schedule and let kids go back home. Yeah, no, look, I don't disagree. But if, because if it's they're gonna a- be there and they get free rides to the school, they get free buses, meal needs to be part of the day. And then it, it then it becomes an equal claim. We no longer have we still have, and you're so right to have and to have not. And and I see it every time I go into school. Yeah, and what's well, bad with some of those kids that are hungry is it's much harder to introduce them to new food because they're so dependent on what we serve that they will immediately gravitate towards what they know because they don't want to take a chance that they don't like something which is going to make their hunger even worse. Good point. So they will take that pizza because it's comfort food. Yeah. But that new Shana Masala, which tastes great, eh, maybe not so much. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a spoonful, but I want food. And food, they'll go with what they know. So it makes it even more challenging to make a change, an impactful change on a daily basis. It does. But, you know, going back to what you said earlier, you know, when you hear back from the parents, I think this is something that's so important. Again, when I said earlier, it's like, you know, we're investing in curriculum. We need to be investing in school nutrition just as much and just as hard and probably even more in some ways, because the food is the basis for curriculum to become successful anyways. Um, But but you you mentioned um, the, the fact that attendance is up when the menu represents the needs of the children. And I think that that was so incredibly impactful when you said that. And I want to come back to that because that also leads into the, the, the kid, the, the, the parent that came back and said, my child's eating more broccoli at home because what they get at school. It's the exact same thing we heard before in past episode that kids are going home saying, hey, can we try this? What can you make this mom? Can you make this day? Can we try this? Can we get this in the house? That is how we're going to win the day because Ultimately, to your point, we've got to change this. You know, you and I, it, it's tough to change folks like you and I, right? We're kind of our rudders in the water. We kind of go where we go. We have the opportunity to influence and change these kids as you're doing so, so brilliantly. And so to me, it's incredibly important. And I think it just speaks volumes about the fact how much impact this work that you're doing has, not only inside the school, but outside, outside of, the of the school. Yeah, it's powerful, man. It's so powerful. It's just brilliant. And so, you know, when you think about what the parents are saying, and I think that's really the, the heavy lift we've got to get to now, which is why we're thrilled to put this out there in the ethos and let parents out there in the world, the people in their communities hear it. Parent support matters when it comes to what you're doing, right? I mean, if parents are bitching about what you're doing, it ain't going to work. But the fact of the matter is you're getting positive response from parents. And I, I guess my call to action or where I'm leading with this question is, 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 a, again, what you've heard from parents and how important parents' involvement is to try to elevate this conversation to a grander scale. Because to your point, you would love to have kitchens everywhere. There, you know, it'd be great to just be able to do this across the country, right? Can you share a little bit about that and what, how, how that resonates with you? So from the very beginning, you're absolutely right. From the very beginning, uh, 
I attended as many PTO, PTA, parents meeting, the whole bit. And had I not done that, I don't think I would have been able to elevate the need of the district to have those kitchens. Because the parents were very loud to the school board. And when, by the time I got to the school board, the school board already knew I had spoken to all those parents and basically said, I don't know what you've done, but you've got this wave of parents behind you and they're not stopping. What's important is that two things. One, you need to be humble about the program that you have. Because many times, and, and I've seen it and I've heard it, where parents say, well, I went and talked to the food service director and they said, they're telling me, well, with, we're within regulation, so we're fine. We only have $2, so we're fine. Be humble. When I met with those parents, I was very, very clear and said, I hate our program. But here's the reality. I have a factory and I have no kitchen. Yeah. That's the reality. And here, I need you to send your kids to eat lunch so I can increase my revenue. But the program as it is, is terrible. I'm totally in agreement with you. It's going to take some time. I need your help. I need your backup. I need your support. What I don't need is for you to tell me what to do. Yeah. I need your support and I need you to. So when we do taste tests, I need volunteers. I need you when we do taste tests. I need you involved in the school with your kids. When we have special events, that's where I need your involvement and your support. But just don't tell me how to run my business. It's hard enough as it is. And I've heard you and I agree with you. Just we can't be defensive toward them because I've mm -hmm. seen that happen. But their involvement is very, very critical. Yeah. I, I just left a very difficult meeting with a, a, a small group of parents who are demanding vegan food every single day on the menu. And they, they felt that they have the same rights as everybody else and that everybody could eat vegan food. So everybody should be, have that option. How do you have that conversation? Because, you know, it's then you have religious observance, all the other diets that are out there. So you've oh. got to maneuver that and take baby steps to make sure you incorporate all different types of food within your menu. But you need to be very careful that you don't favor one over the other. Right. Because then it becomes very tricky. But you've got to listen. I was never defensive. Uh, there are time you want to be. <laughs> you know, they push that button a little too hard, but very respectful, understanding. And by the end, we came up to an, a, a great conclusion. Right. And, and I think they're happy. Uh, and we went through it. I went through the menu with them and 80% of our vegetarian options are vegan. Not by design, but just by nature. Because, right. Making, right. Right. But we don't call them vegan because... I'm not vegan, you're not vegan, but it tastes good, so I'm going to have it. Right. So parents' involvement is critical. You've got to have them. You have to decide what that involvement looks like, whether you want you know, parents' group to look at menus and so on and so forth, or is it more from a support mechanism? To me, it was more having them supporting what we're doing and continuing to elevate the value and sending their kids to have lunch. Yeah. 
complaining about the food and sending a bag lunch that has chips, cookies, and a sandwich is not going to help me out. Sending your kids to eat my food is going to elevate our, our revenue and I can't continue to do what I'm doing. Right. And again, it's and you dri- and you're driving dignity into food, right? And you're driving dignity yeah. in the entire experience, which is, you know, which is fantastic. And sitting down with a knife and a fork and a spoon and a plate, that may not be what everybody does every day at home either. So you're giving them that opportunity to grow as individuals and you're planting the seed, which I think is so incredibly important of change. And, I, and, and what I find to me, I think super exciting about these conversations and what you all are doing is yes, it, what you're doing today is epic. And I'm not, I'm not, I can't, there's no, I don't know what other word to describe, you know, how great it is. But what will these kids be like in 25 years? What will their mentality be about food? What will their mentality be about our food system? What will their mentality be about their children's food that they're going to be raising and having in their lives? To me, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think that's where your hard work and your lift is going to have its greatest impact is as this generation that passes through your system, that's a part of this dignity you're creating, this experience is going to be able to take that to the masses and influence change in this country in a way that I think we don't know yet, but I don't see it as being a negative. I don't see somebody learning how to eat with what you all are doing as being a negative impact on the world in 25 years. I think it's only positive. Yeah. And, and, and we're seeing, you know, in, in the school environment, there's been a big shift in the last couple of years of more schools going the direction of serving fresh food. (laughs) <laughs> and and I work with manufacturers all the time, and we can be partners. I still need them. They need me. Sure. Well, I need them more than they need me, but <laughs> we can be partnered. You know, am I, <clears throat> there's certain food I'm not going to make, so I still need someone to make. Same as at home, right? Right. Uh, my daughter-in-law is Hispanic, and for Thanksgiving, the, her entire family makes tamales. They do that once a year. That's their tradition. The rest of the year, they find a local store that sells tamale because that's what, right? And we need to be realistic. That's the reality. Yeah. Uh, There's certain food I'm not going to make, I'm going to buy. But when I can buy it fresh, support local economy and make great tasting food, sure, we're going to do that. What's next for you guys? Is there anything new on the horizon? Anything exciting? Besides got some new kitchens coming? Is it just keep the keep the boat just paddling as it, hard as you can go forward? It, keep the boat, keep improving. Well, I don't even want to say improving. Keep maintaining and looking at our process. The next big big thing internally is a vegetable processing facility, which will hopefully reduce some of our costs and increase our ability to get some product directly from the farmer and cut out the middleman, which is the most expensive part. Absolutely. The, the major impact of that will be, I think we'll be able to do more fresh vegetable uh, because we're also adding an oven so we can do some roasted vegetable for the schools that still don't have kitchen so that we can give them, you know, we can give them the same kind of vegetable that the other schools have. Right, because that that makes it so hard. Sometimes we look at that menu and we just shake our head, going, "I I, I know there's not much we can do, but we've got to. How, what else can we do? What can we do to do better?" Absolutely, so that's the next big thing. Otherwise, it's still maintain it, maintaining what we do. We have to look at how to be more efficient with the staffing shortage. Sure, I'm I'm blessed to have a central kitchen, so we can do 
uh, some stuff on a large scale and have economies of scale. You know, whether it's taco meats or Alfredo sauce or salad dressing, we all do that in bulk. So it does help facilitate and, and, and help the schools. But otherwise, oh. is keep going the way we're going. I, I got to tell you. You're a legend out there. You're you're kicking in doors that need to be kicked in, and and I appreciate <laughs> you very much being here with me and hanging out and sharing your journey, the struggle, the hurdles, the positive, the dignity, and all the things that you're doing. I mean, you know, nurturing all children through access to quality food and active living—that's a pretty good way to start your day every day. So thank and you for a, thank you for being here. Great, it's a great way to drive home knowing you've made an impact on a kid. 100% because you're changing the future. We're, literally, you are changing the trajectory of these children's lives for the better. And I think it's incredibly powerful. It really is. Because you're making a difference with their grades. You're making a difference with their behavior. You're making a difference with their attendance just based on the food. You've said that based on the food that you're serving. It's powerful, brother. That was one school. I just don't want everybody to think we've increased. No. <laughs> but you know, but I bet it's, I bet there's some trickle down all over the place too, right? Good. Because it's, yeah, again, it's not a scientific study, but the facts are the facts. It just shows you the importance of what you're doing. So I appreciate you being here and hanging out with Thank me. I you. really well, do. appreciate being here. This is yeah, great. it was awesome. Come back. I want to get an update on what you guys are doing. You're more than welcome. Uh, We're going to keep talking. Come and visit like, when it's when we've got at least 20 inches of snow everywhere in Minnesota. And you I don't go. bother me. I go back there all the time. It doesn't bother me. Go Vikings too. I got I got I'm good. Bring it. It's just snow. It's no big deal. It's just water. Just piled up water. I can deal there with it. There you go. I can do it. I'm probably not going to be wearing shorts. Thank I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for being part of our Lunchtime Heroes series here at Todd Versations. It's so important. I talk about this all the time, about inspiration, how important it is to inspire people and how we can do that using inspiration to make a change in our country. If what Bertrand has not shared with you does not fire you up a little bit, I mean, it's like a spider monkey and Mountain Dew in the studio right now because I'm so <laughs> excited about what he's doing. And these conversations are so incredibly important. Get involved, folks. Ask questions. Get involved with your school districts. Find out what's going on in your community. Even if you don't have kids in school, find out what's going on. Maybe you can make a difference. You have some influence. You can do something. Be a part of it. Let's change these kids' lives for the better. Let's change our country for the better. Bertrand, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you for being Thank here, everybody. You. Thank you. Happy Been December, everybody. We'll see you soon. Take care, everybody.